Hello, and welcome to What's on Tap, Lancaster, the show that pours out the latest need-to-know trends, insights, and strategies for young professionals in the business community. I'm your host, Ashley Glenser. And I'm your other host, Molly Krauser. We hope that today's episode equips and inspires you to join us in cultivating a thriving community. Let's dive in. As we navigate a post-pandemic world, we are facing significant challenges in talent attraction driven by a tight labor market and the repercussions of the pandemic. The demographics of our workforce continue to change as more millennials step into leadership roles and Gen Z employees develop a greater foothold as early career professionals. Today's workforce climate presents us with the opportunity to collaborate as a business community on innovative strategies for talent attraction and retention. We're here with two special guests today to talk about emerging trends in human resources for local professionals and what it all means for the future of our workforce. We welcome to the show Karen Snyder, Global Vice President of Ultra Global Defense Group, and Molly Constanon, a human resources business partner at the City of Lancaster. Karen is responsible for the oversight of employee development, succession planning, learning and development, and employee engagement for over 4,000 employees worldwide. Karen holds a bachelor's degree in business administration from Albright College, as well as professional certifications, including SPHR, SHRM SCP, and executive coaching. Karen serves on the Board of Directors and Professional Development Committee for Lancaster Society of Human Resource Management, or SHRM, and volunteers as a teacher for junior achievement. In her role, Molly focuses on employee wellness, health, and safety. She is passionate about the overall employee experience and using continuous improvement and problem solving to improve processes and culture. She graduated from Lycoming College with a bachelor's in business administration with an emphasis on marketing and management and a minor in psychology. She possesses her PHR and SHRM CP certifications and serves as the co-chair for the communications committee and second vice president for Lancaster SHRM. Welcome, Karen and Molly. Thank you. So we're excited to dive in today. Human resources is a broad and complex topic. I feel like it's an umbrella for a lot of conversations we're having right now, certainly in relation to workforce and workforce issues. And we'll be diving in today and looking forward to examining some of the broader themes you're dealing with right now in the work, particularly around compensation, DEI, retention. But I want to just set the stage a little bit. The last two years have obviously accelerated some of these. But if you're able to kind of set the stage a little bit, how have the overarching strategies of human resource management evolved in the past two years versus maybe what you had seen before that? Yeah, I would say that the pandemic has had a significant impact on the way human resources is looked at in the business. People are more important than they used to be. And I hate to say that, but we have discovered that it is our people that drive the success of the company. And what they are looking for in business has changed and we have to change to adapt to that. So we've really seen an increase in catering to people, caring for people. And human resources has really taken the spotlight as far as what is needed in business. I agree with Karen. I think we've seen the need for human resources as we see hiring signs everywhere. We realize we can't keep doing things the way we used to. We can't keep not paying people a living wage. We can't not listen to their needs anymore. So I think every department now has to kind of embrace human resources and see what we have to say, what we recommend, and how we can all work together, you know, just to make the work life easier for everyone, make sure we can keep businesses running and just keep everything running smoothly. 
And Molly, you just mentioned we see job opening signs everywhere. So, you know, I'm wondering what type of retention strategies were popular pre-pandemic and how have those shifted over time? One thing that comes to mind is at my first HR job, I had to think of a retention plan. And it was pretty simple. It was after you hit certain training milestones, you get a small bump in pay. After you stayed for a couple of months, you get a bump in pay. But I don't feel like that's enough anymore because you can slowly crawl up the ladder at one job or you can go across the street and get an easier job for a couple more dollars an hour. So I think employers need to focus on the whole picture with retention. Look at the benefits, look at the total rewards, look at the schedule and just listen to their employees and see what they're looking for. I often hear that the flexible workplace isn't really feasible for certain industries. So I think those industries that catch themselves saying that need to kind of think, you know, what does it mean to be flexible for us? So clearly, if someone is public facing like a front desk person somewhere, you know, they can't just kind of come and go and they please. But how can we kind of meet them halfway with that? Yeah, I think what has changed is, you know, 70% of employees want flexibility. That's huge. So employers have got to find a way to create that environment for them. Employees now have more in their life than just work. They have found that they have communities that they care about. They found that they have hobbies and friends and families, and they want that to be a part of their life. So work has really taken a smaller piece of their life, and employers need to realize that and create the environment that they'll thrive in. So how should young professionals, if we're saying seeking to connect and understand human resource management in their workplace, regardless of their role? How do they connect into it? You know, if they're in marketing or whatever that might look like. You had mentioned that a little bit, Molly, about just each department taking a bit of responsibility for maybe what that looks like. And so how do young professionals connect in with that work? I think the easiest thing to do is just talk to your HR department. I feel like often we're the people that people come to when there's an emergency happening or they forgot that they had to hire someone or they forgot this and that. But if we have a good working relationship with the different departments, things can go a lot smoother for everyone. There's a lot of stuff that we kind of do behind the scenes. So I think the best thing to do is just talk to your HR people. They probably send out a lot of emails, maybe peruse them once in a while just to understand what we're trying to do to make everything better. And I also think give feedback if someone has a program they're like, hey, like this isn't really working for anyone and this is why people aren't showing up. I think your HR team would be happy to hear that. I agree. And HR people don't want to just sit there and do the tactical work. You know, that's the good stuff is when you get to develop people and share your knowledge with them. And I believe every HR person is always willing to do that. So again, it's a lot of just talking to each other and taking interest in what HR is about. Some people might find out that they like it. And some people might find out that, like Molly said, we do more than they think we do. I feel the model for HR and organizations used to be pretty siloed as a department, but now we see how important it is to integrate HR across the entire organization and specifically in positive organizational culture. So can you talk a little bit about the role of HR in fostering that positive climate in the organization? Sure. HR needs to work with the top leaders of the organization because that needs to come from the top down. So HR needs to be the voice of the people, but they also need to be the voice of leadership as well. 
by having that cascading down, employees are given permission to really be a part of the culture, create the culture, and make it what they want it to be. But HR has definitely got to be the police sometimes when they see top leadership not providing the culture that they're looking for. They need to call them on it. And, you know, leaders need to respond to that as well. It is kind of like policing all the different departments and just kind of being a mediator sometimes. I think we have the difficult job of sometimes calling people out, especially leaders, if they're not being a good example. Usually those leaders are the ones saying, we have a culture problem here. And sometimes we have to be the ones to say, look in the mirror, let's see how we can fix this together. You know, set some goals, like set some values. And how are we going to apply that to everyone? You both use the word policing as kind of monitoring and correcting different parts of the organization that's not functioning well. But that also brings to mind people who maybe have a negative perception of HR and your role. How can companies work to change that perception of HR in a way that feels natural and friendly and inviting in the workplace? Yeah, I've always said never say no. When someone comes to you and wants something, even if you can't do it, say, well, we can't do that, but let's come to a different solution or let's think of something else that we can do. I think a lot of times that helps in that you're not seen as black and white, yes or no type of organization. I think that taking on a coaching role as HR and not being so, I don't know, stuck in the mud and adamant that, oh, well, we can't do this. I mean, there's room for creativity within HR And I think sometimes HR people are so afraid of following the handbook and following all the rules that they forget that they can make some decisions, they can change some things and still stay within the law and the the rules that they need to stay within. Like it doesn't have to be so rigid. Yeah, we need to follow the laws and policies, but taking the time to see why people are upset, like maybe there's just a misunderstanding that we can come to an agreement on. And I also think to change the view of HR, it also needs to come from the top down. You know, the leaders can't be like, well, it's HR's fault or HR said this. You know, there needs to be a united front between leaders in the organization and HR too. We put a lot of work into creating policies and programs and a lot of it is to kind of benefit the different departments. So we need the buy-in from the leaders to make sure it's efficient. And I think that also helps get rid of that stigma against HR. So we'll shift a little bit to specific, maybe tactical HR topics, in particular, this narrative around kind of total compensation, both mentioned it a little bit that it's human centered, and we're not just thinking about the compensation, but we're thinking about the whole person and what that looks like for each individual even. So how does that a narrative around the total compensation, salaries, benefits, how has that changed potentially in the last couple of years? So I can speak on that. When I was Looking for a new role, obviously, I want to make good salary, but there's also things that were really important to me. I wanted to be able to walk to work. I wanted to be able to have a little flexibility, benefits always a plus, and just a good work-life balance. And then as I talk to other people that are looking for jobs, they're like, I don't want to have to pay half my salary for insurance. I don't want to have to do all of this stuff. I want to go do my work, do it well, and then come home and be able to unwind or do a hobby. So even though there's not a dollar sign connected to that, I think it really does help with the total compensation. You know, especially when you have these salaried positions where you can't get overtime, expecting people to work 60, 70 hours a week. I think those days are going to be dwindling for a lot of industries because people aren't going to want to do that anymore. 
And then if we move into like the benefits, we need to think of outside of medical dental vision. Like we had pet insurance at my last job. You know, there's certain things, different types of PTO that you can incorporate into your benefits package that would really be interesting to people. Yeah. And I think, again, the pandemic had a lot to do with how things have changed. People don't want to spend as much time at work. They have more important things to do. Yeah, they want to be paid well, but money isn't everything. You know, I always say life is short, but your career is even shorter. So it has to matter what you're doing. It has to matter what the company is doing. And I think just as people want flexibility in their work, they also want flexibility in their benefits. You know, not everybody has a pet or not everybody has a kid. And, you know, how can you find benefits that are important to those employees that's going to matter to them? Nowadays, employees are looking for the things that a company can do for the community. They want to be proud of wearing that name on their shirt when they go to the grocery store. They want to know that what they're doing has purpose. So when it comes to compensation, yeah, you need to be paid well, but there are other things that go into it that as a employee, you need to look at the whole picture, as Molly was saying. But as an employer, you know, you need to recognize that it's not just a cut and dry situation. You mentioned a couple things that people might like, like pet insurance or PTO. What are some of those bits and pieces that might be helpful to saying, here's a few things to take a look at quick, particularly when it comes to compensation, those pieces of your potential employee handbook or potential compensation packets or other brands that you've seen that are starting to think about some of these things differently? Paid family leave. I think that's important. Help with childcare because I don't have kids, but I can hear how expensive it is. And I can understand why a lot of people can't afford to go back to work because the cost of childcare is outrageous. Political stance, declaimer. I think the U.S. is very far behind with paid family leave. I think it's really unreasonable to have the policies that we have without the support of the government to have families. I think sick time, vacation, pet insurance. People are really worried about their pets. They can be expensive. Yeah, I think even things like wellness, you know, having a relaxation room. And if somebody goes in there and sits for 10 minutes and meditates or just, you know, gets their act together, and then they're not looked at like, oh, well, you know, you're slacking off. Little things like that. It doesn't take much. We used to do something where we would get the students who were going to be masseuses, and they'd come into the facility and they'd get neck massages for like five minutes in the chair. They didn't charge us anything. It was good experience for them. And our employees loved it. You know, fun little things like that. The other thing in compensation is look for those little pieces of reward. Do they get spot bonuses when they do something good? You know, little things that add up and just make you feel good about going to work. Sounds like that's a cultural thing too, right? Supporting HR and being able to do some of that cultural seem tiny, but over time are not so tiny when you think about retention too. Like my last role We would do like an activity, whether it's like a scavenger hunt or a snack, and it really does help break up the day. Like it doesn't replace major benefits, but it is something different. It is showing your employees appreciation. I couldn't help but think of the memes that you see even on LinkedIn, on Instagram, where it's the pizza party. party. (laughs) And I think going back to that, it's so important to have both, you know, listening to your employees to figure out what they need, what 
benefits they're looking for, but also then offering those opportunities to have, you know, team building and relationship building in the organization, time to unwind and relax. We have a fun midi at the chamber and we had someone donate a bunch of puzzles. Now we have a puzzle table and you can go on your lunch break or anytime you need just a breather and just, yes, it's a (laughs) de-stress station and you can put puzzles together. And I think the plan is to grow what opportunities we have at the table that you can engage with as you de-stress. But it's just part of what the chamber offers. And that's just one way to make the office environment more appealing. And so for people listening, it is a holistic approach. Can you talk a little bit more about recognizing and acknowledging and celebrating your employees' successes? How are you seeing employers do that well? I think the employers that do it well personalize the recognition. And I'm going to tell you a story. It was years ago, but we had a maintenance guy and he plowed all weekend long during a snowstorm. Yes, he got overtime pay for it, but we wanted to do something extra. So the CEO said, well, let's give him a gift card. I thought, you know what? He's a hunter. Why don't we just go out and get him a Cabela's gift card instead of just a Visa gift card? And he said, okay, whatever. Gave him that Cabela's gift card. The guy got tears in his eyes. Because we knew him, you know, he knew that we cared about his life outside of work. I know. I still get teary thinking about it. I mean, it was just an amazing moment. But you need to know your people, know what they like. And it doesn't have to be a lot. But when it's personal like that, it means everything. I think it's important to have constant feedback, too. And also recognize how your employees like getting feedback because Some people might like the attention, like at an all-hands meeting or like a company meeting, but the next person, they will just crumple and it will not be what you think it is for them. So I think like Karen said, knowing your people and knowing when it's appropriate to give them that feedback makes it go a long way. It's August, and summer may be coming to an end, but enjoying good beer doesn't have to. I've just tried Silent Luau Hazy IPA from Funk Brewing in Elizabethtown. This unfiltered, soft IPA has notes of pineapple, passion fruit, guava, melon, and berries. I feel like I'm on an island now. You can pick up Silent Luau most places you buy beer or visit the Elizabethtown Taproom. Visit funkbrewing.com to learn more or follow on social at etownfunketown or Funk Brewing. For young professionals specifically in the total compensation conversation, I have questions and it's the same question, two sides of the coin. You know, for young professionals who are direct reports, how do they approach their supervisor and ask for increased benefits or increased pay? And then how do young professionals who are in managerial positions answer those questions? So I think the first part of your question with approaching a supervisor, I would recommend setting a meeting, being calm. I don't think anyone, no matter what role they're in in supervisory, wants to be caught off guard about compensation. I think having your facts, maybe doing a little bit of a compensation analysis, like externally, what resources you have, maybe pull up some good feedback that you hopefully got from before and anything that you can do to kind of justify it and just kind of lay it out why you're feeling that way, what you're looking for. And I think what impact it would have on the person too would be important. What I hope for in the coming years is to have more open conversations about compensation. 
I don't think it needs to be a taboo topic. We see what people are paying now in ads. New York City passed that law that if you have more than four employees that you have to post a compensation range. I think that's going to be trickling out throughout the U.S. So I think young professionals, if they know they're being underpaid, they need to make it known and talk about it. I agree. I think that as a young professional, if you're going to ask for more money, you do need to do your homework. You need to go in with your facts and figures. I have found that, I mean, in all the years that I've been in HR, it's easier to ask for money for somebody else than yourself. So when you're sitting there doing that, pretend that you're asking for somebody else. It just makes it a little easier that you're not trying to sell yourself. And if you're in a position of management where someone's coming to you, I think the most important thing is to be transparent. You know, if you can't give them an increase, be honest and tell them why. Or if they need to do something more, tell them what they need to do so that they know what they need to do to be able to get that increase. So I think just that, like you had said, the transparent, genuine conversation, it needs to happen more often. Yeah, I think it needs to happen both sides too. And I think it needs to be realistic. Like I think if you're going and asking for a raise, you need to be a little realistic with what the company can give you within, hopefully they have some sort of salary range for that role. But again, the the supervisor needs to be transparent, be like, that's not realistic, but here's some other opportunities. Like, I don't ever think it should just be a no. It should be a no, but let's try this. I'm going to shameless plug about the Chamber's Wage and Benefit Survey for employers. It is a wage benefit and policy survey that gathers hyper-local data for Lancaster County specifically and Lancaster County employers. You can both participate in it and purchase the data from it. But I think that that, before we move on from total compensation, wanted to kind of bring that to the attention because I think that that's helpful. You know, you can find a lot of data around what that looks like nationally, but I think the hyper-local data is helpful for communities. So we'll put information about the wage and benefit survey in the show notes. And I just want to ask, and this is something in my role, I run the Young Professionals Network as part of my role with the Chamber, and I have a lot of conversations with young professionals over coffee, just finding out where they're at, how we can best support them as a Chamber. And I have to say, you know, asking for a raise is one of the biggest topics that I hear from our young professionals. What would you say to young professionals who have approached this conversation well? They've prepared, they have notes, they let their manager know ahead of time. And they got to know, what would you say would be their best next steps to consider in that conversation? You know, I think if it's a flat out no, maybe a pro and con list of the company, maybe log into LinkedIn and see what else is out there. And also ask your manager why no. If they don't give you an answer, find out why. But I think take care of yourself, especially how we see it now. People aren't going to stay at the same job forever anymore. Yeah, and I would add that in the space we're in right now, they need you more than you need them. So it's okay to play the game. It's okay to bet your cards. And you have to decide if it's worth staying or leaving because there are a ton of jobs out there right now. So if you can't get what you want from your current employer, then you probably need to look somewhere else. We had a program several years ago and it was like one of the first times I woke up and was like, wait a second, there are potentially four generations for the first time at workplaces, all working together, who come to the table with varied experiences, childhood experiences, young adult experiences, whatever that looks like. And that is a lot of personalities (laughs) and a lot of differences that oftentimes I feel like we don't stop and recognize maybe some of those differences and how we can better work together. So what are some of the generational differences that you feel like exists in your experience among employees 
And then how are HR professionals then dealing with some of those and meeting the needs of each of the generations because they all look different and that's compensation and that's benefits and that's, you know, all of these different things. So how do you kind of foster some conversation around what that looks like? Yeah, I would say the older generation was brought up with you climb the ladder, you put in the FaceTime, you do all of that. And then you have your other generations coming in with different ideas, different ways of doing things, very knowledgeable about technology. So it causes a rift because the older generation sees the younger generation coming in and just jumping over them, jumping past them. So there's an issue there. It's taken as disrespect sometimes. I think the best thing HR can do is educate people. I mean, diversity is the most important thing we can have in the workplace right now. And that's also diversity of age, you know, diversity of thought, because we do all think differently. I'm in that baby boomer range, but I love being around the young professionals because they teach me so much. And I think if we all would realize we can learn from each other, it would be huge. It would make all the difference in the world. So HR needs to really educate people on the benefits of diversity, on the strengths that each person can offer, you know, regardless where they are. We do some different programs like reverse mentoring, where it's not just the older person mentoring the younger, it's the younger one teaching the older person. And that's how you get that relationship building among the different generations as well. There are some things like my husband, for instance, worked at the same place for 30 years. He just got laid off from his job. And I often said I wouldn't hire him because he's been at the same place for 30 years. You know, I love to see people move. And, and I've said to some of the young professionals I know, don't stay much past three or four years. You got to keep moving. A lot of employers still are at that point where they see somebody who's had four jobs in, you know, seven years, and that's taboo, and it shouldn't be. I mean, those are great experiences people are getting. I agree with Karen. And also, I think with everything that happened the past two years, a lot of people had to change jobs multiple times for personal reasons. And I think that's something that we need to view from every generation is that we can't really assume why someone's doing something or why someone doesn't want to climb the corporate ladder, you know, why they just want to try different things. And I, I always hear that as like a big clashing point between the generations because people are like, I don't want to, you know, be president of a company. And then someone else be like, well, why not? That's what you should be working towards. And it's like, well, you know, that's not for me. So I think going back to the open conversations and the mediation and just HR being involved with that and calling the managers out or the different employees out if they hear that kind of discussion. I think, too, about how this relates to the learning mindset and the growth mindset that is a best practice in the workplace for employers and employees. And if you are an employee and you have a varied work experience, I mean, I know I have been in the workforce out of college for six years and I'm dating myself, but I have a lot of different work experiences on my resume. I have moved, I lived abroad, and what I have been told and what my mentors have coached me on in my career journey is being able to articulate what you've learned from each of those experiences. It's less about how long you were there and what you walked away with, what those experiences gave you, the skills that you had, the skills that you honed in on, you know, how can young professionals share about their experiences, even if they have a very diverse resume? 
I will say Karen is one of my mentors and she really pushed me to also do that and not focus about the time and say, look how much you accomplished. And I think we get wrapped up a lot in how long we've done something. And I think we kind of need to change our thoughts and behaviors to realize I've accomplished all of this. Like I should be proud of what I've done. I also think it's important to recognize that sometimes you'll be in a role and it's not the best fit for you, or you may not have been as successful as you thought, but still use that experience as something positive. Be like, I learned that I'm not good at that, but I learned time management from that. I learned how to figure out what I'm actually interested in. So I think changing the thought process to be more positive and focus on your wins will help boost people. Yeah, and just changing in the first place will help you grow. I mean, going from one industry to another, that's a huge learning experience. Again, I can't stress enough how important it is to just keep moving, keep learning, keep that growth mindset. You know, experts are great, but not everybody needs to be an expert. Not discouraging anybody if they want to get into a role and be in that role all their life, you know, more power to you. But make sure you're still keeping a growth mindset and learning, even if you're in that role for an extended period of time. Karen, you said something that stuck with me about diversity, you know, diversity of background, race, age, uh, generation. And you also mentioned earlier about community engagement, making sure that your workplace is engaged and making that positive impact in the community. So what do you see as the role of young professionals in incorporating some of those workforce trends, so community engagement and DEI, into the workplace? First and foremost is the passion because young professionals have the energy, they have the excitement. And when you show that, it's contagious. People are going to follow you. So I think young professionals have the responsibility to be in the forefront, be the leaders. You know, young professionals are going to be the leaders of the world at some point. So start now. Show what's important and people will follow when they see that enthusiasm and that excitement. There's a lot of people that just sit back waiting to be led. Well, you know, go lead them. I agree. So I think incorporating the community engagement, DEI, that also goes back to the total rewards and compensation. Like if someone's excited about what your business is doing, they'll stay. You'll have a higher retention rate, higher engagement rate. I read a statistic recently that engaged employees are 17% more productive. And I think it just brings some fun to the workplace and also gives you more perspective too, especially when you have a DEI element to it. You know, if you bring in a group of leaders from diverse backgrounds, you're going to have different viewpoints and opinions on everything. And I think it's a really good learning experience for the organization. I will say like, you know, when I was looking for a job, it was important to me to work somewhere that gives back. I would look and see who the company donate to, what kind of community services initiative they did, you know, what sustainability practices that they have. A lot of that stuff's very easy to find. And I don't think companies realize how good of a marketing tool and a recruitment tool it can be. And I think a community like Lancaster, where I feel like those things are happening in a lot of our businesses, it's a matter of how are you sharing it and how are you using it as a quote unquote marketing tool for your customer who is also your employee and, you know, that kind of thing. So that's a shout out to companies to really use that as a narrative to help. Yeah, it's funny when I first took my role with Ultra, you know, it's a defense company. And I was like, do I really want to work for a defense company? That's like nasty. 
But then I realized, oh my gosh, well, what they're doing protects the warfighter and the stuff they do for veterans. And we even started adopting service dogs and paying for them to go through the program. And then they're given to wounded warriors. And so you can find even in a company where you think, that this doesn't fit me. Sometimes it does if you really look into it. And if the company is willing to provide those opportunities and do things for the community that is important to their employees. The chamber has been pushing investing in your people. And that looks different for each person, dependent on skill set and job and things like that. But how can we create learning opportunities, leadership development opportunities from the business perspective? On the other side of that, how can we support young professionals who are seeking them as well? How do young professionals ask for saying, I want to go to this or I want to do this? And how should companies be helpful in that? There was once this saying, and I just love it, and it's the CFO and the CEO are talking and the CFO says, what if we pay and develop our people and then they leave? And the CEO says, but what if we don't develop them and they stay? And it's so true. I think that leadership development is one of the most important things a company can do because your leaders are going to shape the culture. They're going to guide your employees. Lancaster has a huge opportunity to get other businesses together, to do cohorts. You know, I see it with the chamber all the time. You do sessions and people from all different companies, and that in itself has a great networking effect. But there's no excuse to not develop people. And I guarantee you, if you're not developing people, your competition is. So you got to remember that. For a young professional who wants development and their company isn't doing it, again, you get your facts and your figures together and you go in and you say, look, this is what other companies are doing. This is what we're asking for. Here's where I can go to get this development if I can't get it in-house. But I think people development is the most important thing that a company can be doing, especially right now. So for our young professional listeners who are in an HR-specific role or a role that has HR function, what resources or advice would you offer to them about how to grow their careers and grow their own skill set or knowledge base? I would say the first and foremost is to get a mentor. It's invaluable, especially getting someone who's been in the business, been in HR, understands all the intricacies to it. You know, HR is one of those fields that you don't learn about it in the books. You can get some general information, but it's hands-on, it's day in, day out, the experiences that you have. And then the other piece is, you know, there's great organizations out there. Elsharm, for one, where they have breakfast meetings, they have all kinds of networking that you can connect with people. I mean, there's all kinds of ways to learn more about HR. But first and foremost, you know, get yourself a mentor. So in your work locally, particularly because you're in the city of Lancaster Valley, and then locally and internationally, in your case, Karen, how do you see young professionals as the catalysts for positive impact in Lancaster? I would say that, again, I go back to that energy. I go back to the growth mindset. I mean, I love spending time with young professionals because they come at things with an amazing openness and a reason to ask why. You know, just ask, well, why are we doing this? Why do we always do it this way? Let's just change it. You know, I mean, just take the bull by the rein and make it happen. So I feel very confident in the young professionals that I've been around. It's a great energy, and I can't wait to see what everybody does. I would agree with the asking why. I know Karen probably heard me ask why a million times, but you know, I like improving things and making it easier. I think that 
the generations in the workforce now are want to work the most efficiently as quickly as possible. And I think that opens it up for so many other things. Like it's more time for community engagement, more time for DE&I, you know, looking past these old processes that we are so used to and how we can improve them. I think it'll be a really interesting change in the workforce the next couple of years. The other thing I would add to that too is the piece about purpose, because I think the young professionals now have a much bigger sense of, I want to make a difference. I want to make sure that what I'm doing has purpose, much more so than the other generations. And I don't mean to down anybody in another generation, but I see that a lot more, that purpose is so important. It's just a different perspective, I think. And especially, you know, being in the pandemic, it's like, oh, I don't want to just do something I kind of like. I want to do something I'm actually going to enjoy if I have to do it for many hours a day. I love what you said, Molly, when you talked about, I want to improve things. I love to improve things. And I think that in program management roles that Molly and I have, you know, we also see ourselves in a position of improving. And and I know that HR is in that position as well. And I just wanted to reiterate that in April, we had an event reimagining the workforce. And we had Bryant Ambling, who talked through a lot of different components of workforce and really high-level tips and strategies for leaders. But one of the biggest takeaways that I had, he was talking about creativity, and he said that efficiency and finding those efficiencies is creativity. Then we had an excellence exchange that talked about innovation and technology, and we talked about disruption. And I think that if we give young professionals the opportunity to disrupt, to ask why, that's when their creativity blossoms. And so I just wanted to hone in on that and kind of give that as a word of encouragement that even if you don't see yourself as a creative person, finding and changing the workplace, that is a creative process. And so if employers can foster that, the workplace will get stronger and better. One of the last questions as we close is, with an understanding of the future of the workforce climate, what do you each envision for a thriving Lancaster County? As I envision that, I think of very diverse workforces with equitable pay, good communities, and lots of opportunities for people in Lancaster and people moving to Lancaster to find their passion and what they want to work in. I think Lancaster is really strong with the businesses that we have. I think we're really lucky that we have the Chamber and a lot of other good resources to help build small businesses to be sustainable. I think that's really important. Just continue with the positive changes that we've seen and just keep growing as a community. Yeah, I agree. I think that Lancaster has so much to offer. I mean, it's almost like they have the resources of a big city, but yet it's got that small town charm that you can't get in a big city. It's just an amazing place. The businesses that are here now, the diversity, and we need to keep growing the diversity. It's not like, oh, we have it now, so we just walk away and do our thing. You know, it's something you just got to stay on top of and continue to be creative and You know, I think Lancaster City and Lancaster County will flourish. It's just a great place to be. We know that we're barely scratching the surface with some of these topics, but I so appreciate both of your perspectives, your different industries and levels and kind of experiences. So thank you so much for being here today. We really appreciate your insights. Thank you. And just as we close today, we'll be adding information about Lancaster Sherm in the show notes, along with information about the Chamber's HR Roundtable. But we encourage you reaching out and getting involved in those resources if you are in an HR role or have function 
that involves HR. So thank you so much for being here again. And we really appreciate having you on the show. Thank you. Thank you. Friends, thank you for joining us on this podcast journey. You can find out more about upcoming Young Professionals Network programs by following us on Instagram at YPN underscore blank chamber. Subscribe to What's on Tap Lancaster on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or your preferred podcast listening platform to stay up to date on our episode releases. Like what you hear? Leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you. We are grateful to Millersville University's Titus Irvin and Blake Harvey for scoring the show. What's on Tap Lancaster is hosted by the Lancaster Chamber's Young Professionals Network, written by me, Ashley Glenzer, produced and edited by Chris Zarnock, owner of KM Zen Creative, and recorded by Triforce Pro Audio Solutions. Stay inspired, Lancaster.